Hey everyone, welcome to Locked on Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. The finals are over. Denver beats Miami. What does that say about the Lakers? That's next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everyone for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast. It's always going to be free. It is never going to be behind a paywall. And Locked On Lakers on YouTube is where you can go hang out with over 17,000 subscribers to the channel uh, who are participating. We actually have a couple comments from the YouTube channel that we'll be getting to today. You see the rundown over here uh, on the right side of your screen if you're uh, uh, watching on YouTube. But we'll get into the, the, the finals, as I mentioned in the open. Talk about keeping or trading the pick. Um, some reaction to a couple of the shows we've gotten with comments from YouTube. And if we get a chance, we'll get into a uh, potential LeBron James rest plan that was thrown out by another uh, uh, listener slash follower of us on uh, Twitter at Cam Brothers. So uh, let's start here, though, Andy. You we had a whole show, not a whole show, but a lot of a show before the finals started. Um, wondering what it might say about the Lakers, what we could learn from the Lakers based on the results of this series, Denver versus Miami. The series is over. It, was, uh, it wasn't a sweep, but it was damn close. Denver controlled as they did against the Lakers. So uh, how does this fit into what you were thinking going in? Well, I mean, the thought that I had was that if Denver dispatched Miami with relative ease, that it would reflect well on the Lakers in terms of their relative competitive standing both against Denver but also against the rest of the league mm -hmm. and I feel like my original contention was borne out pretty well in terms of the Lakers credibility like the Lakers got swept but the losses were by 24 total points over four games so an average of six point losses basically competitive but right. and one Denver. of those was bigger than the other three so right they, they had one double digit loss but mm -hmm. in total 24 points and the series was controlled by Denver. It, they were the better team, but the Lakers were competitive. They had opportunities to win three of the four games, but ultimately their margin for error was lower as the lesser team. But like I said, mm -hmm. only one double-digit loss. Compare that to, say, Phoenix. Denver needed six games to take them out, but the four Phoenix losses were by an average of 17 points. All four were by double digits. One was by 25. The two wins that they managed to get, the first one, 76 combined points from Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. KD, 39 points of 12-31 uh, shooting, 14-16 at the line, plus nine rebounds, eight assists. Booker, 47 points on 20-25 of 25 shooting, six rebounds, nine assists. The second win, 72 combined points from Booker and Durant. Durant, 36 points, 11 of 19 from the field, 12 of 13 from the line, 11 rebounds, six assists. Booker, 14 of 18 from the field for 32 points, plus six rebounds, 12 assists. Despite that insane production, neither win that Phoenix had over Denver was by double digits. So in other mm -hmm. words, it took their superstars performing like absolute supernovas in order to win semi-comfortably by single digits. And then Miami won one game against Denver by three points. 
In the meantime, their four losses were by a combined 44 points. And if you take away three of those points to acknowledge the win, that's still them losing by an average of 10 points per game, which is more than every Laker loss to the Nuggets except one. Because again, three yeah. of the four and losses I by Miami, double digits. So I think that speaks very well to what the Lakers did. Yeah, I mean, just my my comment about that win. I mean, look, Denver dominated that series in the same way. Like that win, Eric Spolstra is not sweepable. Like he is technically sweepable, but sweeping a Spo team is hard. You know, especially one that plays as hard as Miami does and is as well coached. Like that is not easy to do. And um, I, I think the big thing is, you know, in the Eastern Conference. Celtics, the Sixers, you know, Milwaukee, who went out in the first freaking round of those guys. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, there's there. there's context to it. Giannis missed half the series. Sure, 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 sure. And that's what I'm getting to. There are all kinds of people who don't believe that Miami was really the best team in the Eastern Conference. They were the hottest team at the right time. They were, you know, not fully healthy as Tyler Hero was hurt, but like, you know, for part of it. But like, you know, overall just kind of got hot at the right time. And Jimmy Butler was fantastic. And Suddenly, Duncan Robinson was good again. Like all of these things, kind Adebayo of. Adebayo was very good for most he, of the right. Finals. He's just a good player. And, and Lowry you know, Miami, was very good in the playoffs. And Miami was just sort of probably a little better than they were in the regular. That's always a team that felt like kind of like the Lakers. That if they ever got it together, they were a little more capable than what their records uh, showed. But I think the the most instructive thing is the Western Conference after Denver, because whether Denver needed. Five games, six games, or like this turned into a, a shocking seven-game series or something. I still think it means that the Lakers have a pretty decent-sized gap to make up on Denver. But what I really think it says is that the rest of the league, like you talked about, the Lakers are legitimately in there somewhere. Because I, you know, I don't, I don't know what all these teams are going to look like. The the next group, but I feel like the Lakers are right there, legitimately, and that was shown um, by the way the playoffs played out with the Lakers in it and when they were eliminated. Yeah. I mean, especially, too, when you take into account what the Lakers managed to do, really making things up as they went over two and a half months on the fly yep. because they put all these new pieces together. LeBron was absent for a lot of it. Um, you know, they didn't even get the opportunity to really attempt to use Mo Bamba. And no matter what you think of Bamba as a player, he is somebody that they wanted to try right. to do something with. You they know, didn't like trade they, for him to be in street clothes for 30 games or no, whatever it was. No, they, I mean, they they were – you could see it. I mean, when they first brought in Bamba, they gave him Wenyan Gabriel's minutes right off the bat, even though mm -hmm. Gabriel had done nothing to lose a spot in the rotation. It was, we want to have this guy on the floor, and then he got hurt, and playing him became just an, an impractical thing. But, you know, this is something a lot of players, but particularly D'Angelo Russell, used to stress a lot. I think if we had a full training camp with the core of this team together and then knock on wood some good health over the course of a season, we could be pretty dangerous. If nothing else, that doesn't seem Pollyanna to me. And, it, you know, you talk about, like, if you run it back, if you do it like so, there are questions around the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron's health, Anthony Davis's health. Like, is LeBron going to need offseason surgery? Will he tell us if he even has it? When will he tell us if he has it? And all of those things. Who is um, the, the LeBron James of feet? I, I want to learn who this doctor is. I mean, I would I would get on a plane. <laughs> Sounds like Dennis Schroeder knew. Yeah, 
Um, and Drew so is like the town crier when it comes to LeBron's health business and putting I, it out on the screen. I just want to, and I want to know what the like. I, I now want to know like by NBA standards, who is the LeBron James of every different body part that yeah. guys hurt across the league. I want like the operation map, like the, the, the guy from operation with the red nose that lights up and you hit it. I want each part of that guy's body labeled with the LeBron James of that, that body part. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that would be really fascinating, but every team has those questions. Like is the Lakers, are they going to bring it back together? And if they do, if they can maintain that depth, can they still keep their guys healthy? It's almost the exact same situation with the Clippers. Can they keep those two guys healthy enough to play because it hasn't worked to this point. But if it did, if you got Kawhi and Paul George and that supporting cast and that coaching staff into a, a playoffs healthy, they could win. I don't think there's any question. Phoenix has two incredibly good players as demonstrated in the Denver series at the top, but they have massive questions to fill out, uh, to, to think about with the rest of the roster and limited means to do it. So, you know, we don't, we're going to learn soon Memphis how many games John, is, yeah. how many games jogging end up missing. Yeah. That could do a lot to derail their season. There was the, the rumors that, you know, there the, are is New Orleans going to trade Zion to try to move up to three, like all kind. So, uh, there, and by the way, no, not acquiring Zion. No, but maybe Williams. Brandon Ingram could maybe be Brandon Ingram, but I'm and not, if, I am not trading for Zion Williams. No, no but, if, but if Ingram goes to Portland and they retain Jeremy Grant, and you know they have a little bit more infrastructure. That could be a very, very good team. So we just don't know. But what I do think we we can tell is that you know the Western Conference is going to be very fluid up until we get into the regular season. You know, with through free agency, we'll learn a lot more. And I suspect it will not be as cooperative. But there's no reason to believe that the Lakers. Um, can't be right there, particularly Andy, if they are able to trade the pick for uh, an outstanding player, or should they keep the pick? That was the debate that uh, Andy provided on the podcast uh, page today. Uh, also on Twitter, we'll also read some, as Letterman used to call it, viewer mail. All that coming up next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Prize Picks and Laker fans. If you haven't signed up for Prize Picks yet, you are missing out on Daily Fantasy Made Easy. Prize Picks has the best DFS prop game on the market. They offer more props than any other DFS prop, prop operator. They offer the superstar players. They offer the bench players. Just pick two to six players and predict whether they will notch more or less in their Prize Picks stats projections. And you can win up to 25 times your money. And Prize Picks offers projections on everything from MLB to WNBA to golf to even cricket. Use the award winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less safe fast withdrawals download the price picks app go to pricepicks.com sign up play daily fantasy sports first-time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 bucks using the promo code locked on again don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at the sign up for the instant match if you're not playing prize picks you don't know what you're missing um, before we get to this uh this question about the pick this comment from schmidtke originals on the Locked, uh, Locked on Lakers YouTube page. Could you please address how acquiring a physical stretch big would return the basketball to the basketball philosophy that won LA the chip in 2019? Brooke Lopez is the perfect fit. Would you sacrifice D'Lo for him keeping Schroeder because Ham loves him and doubling down on defense? Goes on to talk about how uh, AD is a small ball four, like all this stuff, like, you know, getting back to that, you have a stretch five, those guys go back and forth. It would essentially be with Brooke Lopez repeating the Marc Gasol formula 
with a better player. Um, you know, Marcus All once an excellent defensive player, Brooke Lopez in one of the great transformations in basketball history has turned himself into not only a defensive player of the year, but also candidate. candidate. Yes. Thank you. But a guy who's in that conversation, but also a knockdown three point shooter. So, you know, he was somebody who needed the LeBron James of feet earlier in his career. So um, interesting comment in a few ways, Andy, um, first, because, yeah, sure, Brooke Lopez, but it also gets, I think, to the challenge the Lakers are facing this offseason. Yeah, I mean, would I potentially give up D'Angelo Russell if it meant getting Brooke Lopez? I would certainly consider it, but not that heavily because it's impossible. <laughs> like, there's, there's no way the Lakers are going to have any ability to do that even if you're if you are suggesting like a double sign and trade because Brooke Lopez is an impending free agent where Brooke Lopez comes to the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell goes to Milwaukee, that's not going to work because that really makes no sense for the Bucks, who actually need Brooke Lopez much more than they need D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Um, Brooke Lopez has no real reason to leave Milwaukee, seems to enjoy it there, probably doesn't want to necessarily go to the Lakers who gave up yeah, on I've, I've seen reports that, you know, it's it's new regimes, new everything. He is, sure. you know, let bygones be bygones. It worked for Dilo. Well, right. It could be, but it doesn't make a ton of sense from Milwaukee's perspective. And the Lakers will have quite literally zero ability to sign Brooke Lopez unless he wants to go to the Lakers so badly that he's going to take a mid-level exception to do it. Yeah. A taxpayer mid-level exception, no less. No. Feels Not on what amounts to likely his last big contract. But right. I mean, it's funny, like in some ways, I, I think you know, Schmidtke's comment about, you know, it would be great to find that stretch five, like a true stretch five, or I guess a true stretch four. There could be sort of interchangeable with um with Davis in terms of where they play. And that by by the way is what they were thinking about with Miles Turner, who's probably not an option anymore. But it's also, I think, in a very poor man's version of this, what I think they were hoping they could see with Bamba, yeah. which is the potential to, not that those two guys would be starting players playing next to each other, but that in those minutes where they, uh, you know, they might be able to share the floor a little bit because Bamba is capable of stepping out and uh, hitting a three. He's not... He's not the three-point shooter or the defender that Lopez is, but the concept certainly not is the, the physical same. presence that that Brooke Lopez is not even close. No, he's probably not as funny either. But that's not necessarily his fault, and we don't know that for sure because we haven't heard him interviewed as much. Um, the 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 bigger issue though is just the reinforcement, and you know the everydayers hear us talk about this and will continue to the reinforcement that if you don't keep what you have, the ability to go find guys who are better are limited. Like if you, you might not love the idea of Rui Hachimura at 18, 19 million. And we got a comment coming up that gets to that, but you probably love the guys you could get at one or two or five less. So, yeah. you know, what do you do? You know, the same, by the way, applies to, Bamba, in theory, depending on what you think his upside is, I just think the Lakers might look at that and say, for what we want to do, depending on where we get our size, that's not $10 million we want to spend. Right, but to Schmitz, to Schmitke's question, though, like 
trying to find, say, a stretch five that can that can also competently guard the lane, be a deterrent around the rim. That's difficult to find one of those skills, you know, at above average level with a taxpayer mid-level, much less both. Right. Which, which reinforces the idea of even if you think D'Angelo Russell is a flawed player, and he certainly is in certain respects, D'Lo can provide more for your team at whatever you think might be too high of a salary than most likely whoever you're going to get at the taxpayer mid-level unless they just want to be a Laker that badly that the, and they've made enough money up to this point that they can afford to do it. Yeah, um, totally agree with you. Uh, here's the the other comment we got that we thought was really interesting today on the on the podcast page. Uh, Rui, this is from D. A. Baracus. Rui, meaning Hachimura, is the opposite of D'Lo. People think D'Lo was awful with the Lakers because of their la their last memory of him was being awful in the Denver series. But the reality was he was actually very good with L. A. Rui was the exact opposite. People think he was great with LA because he was great in the playoffs, but he was actually awful for stretches during the regular just during the regular season. Season numbers with LA were near career lows across the board, and fans were saying at the time that they should not resign him. Um, <laughs> that's what Rui says to that. I, I love this comment for a few reasons. First, I think there's a lot of truth in it in terms of like the idea of recency bias. Rui's most recent memories are better than Delos, and I think that makes a difference, particularly people who weren't paying attention to Hachimura as closely during the year. Um, but it also, you know, it's a pretty strong evaluation of Delos' performance and a pretty negative evaluation of Rui's, and I know you certainly don't agree with the latter. Um, I don't think it's accurate. Um, right, that's what I'm saying. If you go through Rui's splits once he joined the Lakers... It was basically his February that was not very – it was not very effective or efficient. Some of his numbers beyond that, which went up a lot more, you know, his counting stats may not have been great, but, you know, there were some games where he only took three or four shots or he only played 11, 13 minutes. There's only so much he's going to do during those stretches if you give him that type of playing time, which, if you will recall, I was consistently saying – No, you, you're on Darwin board. needs to play him more. So I, I do not agree with the idea that Rui was anywhere close to more often bad than good during the regular season with the Lakers. If anything, I don't think he played enough. Um, was he as productive as he was in the postseason? No, but I also thought there were stretches in the postseason where he was given more to do. He also found, he also found a matchup, particularly against Memphis, but I think in certain respects against Denver, that played well to what he did. He also got more time with LeBron, and I think he plays very well off LeBron. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful for Rui, but also helpful for the Lakers. It's it's going to be fascinating to see. Let's let's assume that they bring him back because I do think they will. Um, I think they will. They you know short of something just totally crazy, will match uh, any reasonable offer for Hachimura. Um, and um, I, I think actually, despite. The chit chat. I think there's actually a decent chance they bring back Russell as well. Um, but so much of what Russell gets graded on is the fact that he's coming off as a you know 31 million dollar guy or whatever his contract is, and is expected to be a 20 million dollar guy at the least in his next deal. He's some he's seen as somewhere in there. Hachimura, when he comes and plays well, like, you always get that boost when you're a 
you know, $4 million guy, $5 million guy, $6 million guy, whatever he was. Um, when he becomes an $18 million guy on a four-year contract, the pressure to perform and the expectations around him are going to go up. Uh, we say the same thing for Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves gets $75 million this offseason, while his number next year will be low and the year following will be low. Like Everybody knows what's coming, and they, he is going to be expected to perform, perhaps not like an all-star, but in that sort of next groupish I mean, down. There's going to be a consistent hope that Austin Reeves is the third best player on this team. Yeah. Like, and and if, that if he probably starts needs to be. looking, yeah, I was going to say, if he starts looking like more of a fourth or you know, high fifth best player on a contending team, unless Rui or Russell or player to be named later picks up that slack, that's a problem for the yeah. team. And, and Reeves going to take that flack over it. So um, it'll be interesting the, when these guys get re slotted based on their salaries. It doesn't mean it's a good idea or a bad idea. There'll be a lot of other players that are also seen as good value, bad value, all make the same amount of money. The NBA is an expensive place, and it's hard to find inexpensive players who play at a high level. Um, but I suspect the tone and the way people talk about them on the show next year, on the on Twitter, at Cam Brothers, on the, it's going to be very different. Um, let's get to this question you asked about keep or trade the pick. Uh, because what if Andy, the 17th pick in the draft this year, becomes their third or fourth best player? That would be cool. We'll get to that next. So um, you put up a poll, Andy, asking people. We did that draft show um, with Rafael Barlow. Um, we got another one coming up next week with Mike Garcia. Uh, you know, everybody knows him. Follow him on Twitter at Canyon Driver. The uh, you know real Lakers insider focuses on the Lakers and their draft needs. So that's something to look forward to next week. Um, after that show, though, we talked about you know that split between keeping the pick and developing the talent, trying to add some depth, or potentially packaging it and seeing what you could get in return. You put up a poll. What were the results? Um, that it is pretty split, um, almost down the middle, um, as far as the Laker fans following us on Twitter or in the YouTube section for the Locked on Lakers uh, community. As far as the consensus on Twitter, slightly above 50%, they would prefer that the Lakers draft a player to develop him. Doesn't mean necessarily take a project, and I and make it clear, they're not going to use, I don't think, the 17th pick on a project. No. But m most 17th picks you can't slot in to be like what Christian Brown was for Denver this year, where you know he was the eighth member of the rotation, but... He got a lot of important minutes. He did, in and the his, but his but his role increased as the season went on, and certainly into the playoffs. Sure, but it, but it's not something that you can necessarily count on from a rookie, particularly on a team that is looking to win a championship. And then the Locked On Lakers YouTube community. He was the twenty. By the way, just as as context, he was the twenty first pick um, yeah. last year. So roughly in this ballpark. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then um, the Locked On Lakers YouTube community. Slightly more than 50% prefer that the Lakers package the pick, trade it for a ready-made player right now, try to stay in as win-now mode as possible. And obviously God is in the details here um, yeah. because, you know, who are you trading him for? But, like, I, I am – I mean, I trust the Lakers to draft wisely. And I do think, you know, the other thing that, that Raphael talked a lot about you know, especially in the context of Max Christie as a strategy that they might look to to, to replicate 
uh, both in the first and second round, is trying to find that guy who, if they waited, you know, you don't not a project, but somebody if they waited a year, they wouldn't be able to get. Um, you know, seventeenth pick who would be the seventh pick next year, looking for that kind of upside to where okay, probably not a huge contributor this year, but next year when you might when the need for cheaper talent like Max Christie uh, is hopefully going to be this year increases two years from now when you might be looking to re-sign stars and you need cheap people on your payroll, whatever it might be, or good trade assets. Um, I think that's a great option. But if you also told me like, hey, you could flip that pick and, um, you know, Beasley and Bamba or whatever for uh, Buddy Heald, I would do that too. You know, if you bring me back somebody who's going to be Buddy Heald could be a transformative player still in this offense. Yeah. Um, impacting them as much as, you know, say a Miles Turner could on defense. And I would do that in a heartbeat. And then, you know, D'Lo probably goes in that scenario. And that's fine because you've replaced the the main skill set or one of the main skill sets in shooting. Yeah, it's interesting. I would be more surprised if they use the 17th pick for what you were talking about as far as a player that might be more of a contributor next year, but you're thinking about it, if mm-hmm. you were still in the draft. I see that as more of a strategy for the 47th pick, the one that they have in the second round, like really what they did with Max Christie. Yeah, you know, where they where, where they say this guy's available to us now. He's not ready, but there's no way we'll be able to get him next year, and we like his potential a lot. I would think that if they're keeping the 17th pick, it's really to try to find somebody that if they had to play him, wouldn't feel like you're just scared bleepless. Yeah. The entire time. That, and it's hard. It is hard to find, but a guy with that kind of like is Christian Braun, for example, uh, Christian Braun, Christian Brown, spelled Braun, pronounced Brown. Um, is he going to be a star? Probably not. Nobody's is, already shown he's going to be a legit NBA player. Right. Is he going to be a, a high end, like a, a, a high quality rotation player on a good team? He already is a high <laughs> a yes. quality. You know, he's already doing that for a team <laughs> yes, that just won the final. <laughs> and I think what we've learned over the last couple of years, as evidenced by this run, is the sixth. If you can find the seventh best player in your rotation, the sixth best player, something like that, in your rotation through the draft, and you get to control that asset for three or four or five years, or whatever, that is that that is monumentally valuable. And right. so, you know, I, I do agree with you. The Lakers could sacrifice a little bit of super high-end upside because Brown also is 22, so he's a little bit older, you know, which makes a difference as well. Sacrifice a little bit of that upside in, in to get a higher floor. Well, I mean, think about it for the Lakers when they were up against Denver. And look, the bottom line is Denver was better than them, so it would have been difficult for them to take them out in a series, period. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what happened with the Lakers – Anthony Davis, I think, had a good, you know, a good series. LeBron certainly had some good games, if not his most brilliant overall series. Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, I think, played above their relative station. Everyone else, though, from a production standpoint, D'Angelo Russell struggled. Dennis Schroeder could not make shots for most of the playoffs. Lonnie Walker could not replicate what he did against Golden State. And then down the line, Think how valuable a a legitimate fifth player that you feel confident about would have been in this series against Denver. 
Right. And that's not necessarily going to be the 17th pick in the draft. No. But it does speak to that person's value. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not for this coming series, but say three to four years from now for the Lakers in a different playoff run they're trying to make. And the other thing is like, it's really important is that there are two things. I mean, I think, you know, let's go back to that, you know, the, the comment about Hachimura and D'Lo from our, our friend D.A. Baracus. One of the things that is important about that contextually, in, in addition to what I was talking about before that in, in the comments you made, there is something to be said, though. Certain guys are harder to play in the playoffs. Certain guys can find a niche in the playoffs in a shorter rotation or whatever. And I, I, the sample size may not quite be there yet. And he is, his shooting, for example, is so far over his normal numbers in the playoffs that I'm not sure you can say that for sure that playoff Rui is this bankable thing. But um, it is certainly possible that he's just a more playable guy in a short rotation with this team um, than some other guys. So all of that stuff matters. What's your regular season value? What's your postseason value? Um, but the bottom line, too, is the Lakers need 12 or 13 players to get through this year. So if this guy that they drafted 17 can be their ninth best player, he'll play. And you know we'll get to the LeBron thing uh, maybe tomorrow or Thursday, um, potential resting plan. But whether he rests or not or whatever, the Lakers are going to have to go deep into a roster to keep those guys healthy, especially if they end up with CP3. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be getting into that for Friday because Howard Beck is going to be joining us on Thursday. He's going to be, we're going to sort of take a look at everything that happened over the Lakers' entire season, you know, get his thoughts on, you know, what, what if anything, the playoffs taught us about the Lakers, some of the moves he thinks they should be making. Also, I want to ask him, as somebody who closely covered the Kobe Shaq years and was around that team all the time, mm-hmm. Jerry West was recently on the Playoff P podcast with Paul George, which, by the way, I don't care what y'all think of Paul George. It's a really good podcast. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's doing really well for a reason. Shouldn't it be Podcast P? He told a story about Kobe in 04 in free agency that I want to get Howard's perspective on because I don't enjoy the idea of calling BS on the logo, but I kind of feel like I'm calling BS on the logo, but I want to get Howard's perspective. Andy calls BS on the logo tomorrow. (laughs) That's something for the everydayers to look forward to. Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, hang out with a bunch of awesome Lakers fans and talk about it. And as you saw in today's show, um, be part of it. Uh, we love bringing these comments in um, and using them to, to to set up the conversation and drive the conversation. We want to do that with your comment as well. Uh, Howard Beck tomorrow. We'll see everybody then.